Hello and welcome to the third episode of Deeper Than Data, a Data's six-episode summer podcast series. I'm Daniel Abawaji. And I'm Emily Jackson. And we're your hosts. This week, high-level political leaders, NGOs, business sector entities, and other institutional stakeholders are meeting in Addis Ababa for the third Financing for Development Conference, or FFD3. The international development community has been buzzing for months about the upcoming Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. These goals will be released in September and will guide international development and cooperation for the next 15 years. The SDGs are being modeled after the Millennium Development Goals, or MDGs, that came out in 2000. But this time, the international community is trying to make the goals more inclusive and lasting. The SDGs are about giving low- to middle-income countries the tools they need to develop sustainably. They're about universal commitments, the whole world coming together to meet realistic goals that all stakeholders have a voice in creating. But in order to do that, we need to finance development, and that's what the FFD3 is about, figuring out how the world is going to pay for the SDGs. Everybody's going into the Financing for Development Conference next week with the expectation that traditional development aid is not the answer to the next 15 years of of development success. With new donors and new monetary flows coming into international development at full force, the need to track investments and coordinate spending is bigger than ever. One of the things that has come out of the post-2015 discussions around sustainable development is this call for a data revolution. Open data and transparency will be critical not only to finance the SDGs, but to actually achieve the SDGs' aims and make development sustainable. We're talking to David Saldivar from Oxfam America and Samantha Custer from Aid Data about FFD3, the SDGs, and how much transparency matters for it all. Stay with us. In the year 2000, over 150 world leaders and 8,000 other delegates met for three days at the UN Millennium Summit in New York City. The purpose of the summit was to determine the role of the UN in the 21st century. Part of that role is guiding development. In the year 2000, nearly half the world lived in extreme poverty, but the new century brought hope for the future and an ambition to develop. So with with the the year 2000, looking ahead to a new century and a new millennium, the moment presented itself for the international community to to try to do something significant about grappling with the problems of human development that um, had persisted in what I would call the kind of modern development era, kind of the post-World War II up to um, the modern, the, the current time. That's David Saldivar. My name is David Saldivar, and I'm Policy and Advocacy Manager for Aid Effectiveness at Oxfam America. Uh, Oxfam is an international development organization working in over 90 countries around the world to partner with people, um, governments, and citizens in their communities who are working to correct the injustice of poverty. We talked to him about the MDGs, the SDGs, and the evolving landscape of development. The MDGs in part came out of an impulse to to focus in on specific, measurable, targeted changes that needed to be made that if if the goals were achieved would result in real um, demonstrated gains in, in people's well-being in, in some critical areas that, that are, were deemed to be essential to how we define development. 
There were eight goals, 18 targets, and 48 technical indicators that would measure success. Even though these were very explicitly goals, rather than committed mandates, the world paid attention to them. Donors in developing countries alike responded. It's difficult to answer whether the MDGs were a success or not. We did meet a lot of the targets. We more than halved the proportion of the world living in extreme poverty and the proportion of the world without access to clean drinking water. The 2015 Millennium Development Goals report released last week goes into detail about the progress made towards each individual goal. It also reveals what may be a flaw in how we are viewing our recent progress. You know, were the MDGs a success or a failure? And, and the answer is kind of both. One of the, the most fascinating things that comes out of the report is that there were really substantial gains made um, along some of their key indicators. Uh, however, um, it's inescapable that a lot of, of those gains were made as a result of the, um, the amazing explosion in economic growth in, in places like China and India. And so the question is, you know, how much of that is attributable to international efforts to pursue the, the, the Millennium Development Goals, and how much of that is replicable for, for developing countries today in 2015 looking ahead to try to pursue the, the SDG targets. It's difficult to separate the progress made in China and India from that of the rest of the world. But even though they may be disproportionately responsible for success in some indicators, progress was not totally absent elsewhere. And the MDGs did have some really important global effects. The Millennium Development Goals have been, for better or for worse, very successful in getting a lot of traction and enthusiasm and scrutiny around progress uh, towards international development. That's Samantha Custer. My name is Samantha Custer. I'm the Director of Policy and Communications here at ADATA, based at the College of William and Mary. I oversee ADATA's policy analysis and, and social survey work, and we've been monitoring and engaging in the discussions around the Sustainable Development Goals quite a bit. Our big contribution is probably not so much at the stage of deliberating about what should go in the goals, but rather to helping think about this means of implementation. The MDGs were a huge force to promote aid and assistance. They were clear, focused aims for the entire world to follow, and they allowed questions and issues around development to gain traction. But because it's also been so visible, lots of criticisms have emerged, rightfully so, about the limitations of this. There are three main criticisms of the MDGs. The first was that they weren't comprehensive enough. Eight goals isn't enough. What about all of these different facets of sustainable development? The second was that progress towards the goals was hard to track. There's been a paucity of data available for countries to even know what progress they're making towards you know, eradicating hunger or alleviating poverty. And the third was that the goals didn't consult enough with developing countries, even though they assigned a huge responsibility to these countries. The perception was that these goals and targets were made from on high by international bodies and then imposed upon low and middle income countries to implement without very much consultation. The problem with that um, from the developing country perspective was that um, this could be seen as a, a northern uh, rich country led process that created a, a whole set of responsibilities without any um, equivalent um, commitments on, on the donor side um, as to what kind of cooperation was going to be on offer to help the countries meet these targets. The international community is trying to address these problems by scaling up and diversifying development goals. The SDGs represent a departure from the missteps of the past 15 years. Moving forward, there are 17 goals with dozens of targets and indicators that both developed and developing countries helped to create.
The world is now more focused on sustainable development or the idea of replicable continuing progress rather than one-time aid donations. There are three aspects or elements to sustainable development, um, social, economic, and environmental. Is the nature of development you know, based on a sound economic footing that you know, countries are seeing their economies growing, but that, that growth is also equitable, that no one is being left behind with vast inequities. Another element is that, you know, as there's progress in economic growth, are we actually hurting our environment? The discussions taking place right now at FFD3 are the result of years of debate about how to fill in the gaps left by the MDGs. How can we create equitable partnerships between donors and developing nations? How can we ensure that development outcomes are not only positive and thorough, but lasting? The UN has gone to great lengths to address the demand for greater equity, effectiveness, and diversity in development goals. The upcoming SDGs include 17 goals for both developed and developing countries instead of just eight MDGs. So when you look at the SDGs and, and how they've they've come together now, uh, 169 um, targets over something like 17 goals, you can really see a, a swing in the opposite direction towards um, comprehensiveness. And and one of the, the themes that's been um, carried through the, the SDG process is this this idea of, of universal commitments. Uh, and, and I think that's a very explicit response to that criticism of the MDGs as being overly focused on uh, putting burdens on developing countries. Moving forward, development goals address both quantity and quality. The UN has upped the number of targets to reach altogether, but leaders from other countries of all different income levels participate in discussions to make sure the goals reflect what's needed for all. Now the international community needs to make sure that these informed and inclusive ideas are actually put into action, and that's where FFG3 comes in. The best way to describe the importance of financing for development ahead of time is this idea of an unfunded mandate. We're setting a tall order of standards you know, with these 17 goals and 169 targets mm. that we are expecting countries to make progress on. Um, and that's only feasible and likely to happen if these countries have the resources that they need to, to have in order to invest in their capacity to be able to do these things. Because the SDGs are so thorough, funding them is going to require a big international effort. Official Development Assistance, or ODA, may not be enough. Everybody's going into the Financing for Development Conference next week with the expectation that traditional development aid is not the answer to the next 15 years of, of development success and also is is going to be dramatically overshadowed by other um, sources of financial flows um, into countries and between um, the developed and the developing world. ODA is official measurable aid given to a country by the Development Assistance Committee or DAC or other donors. Development assistance that takes the same form but comes from official donors outside of the DAC is called non-DAC aid. Then there's philanthropic aid, like donations from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Impact investment, such as financing fair trade or low-income housing. Foreign direct investment, as in American car companies opening factories in other countries. Public climate finance, domestic resource mobilization, and more. Development assistance today takes so many forms other than traditional aid or loans. 
What does that mean for funding the SDGs? The fact that there are increasingly diversified resources mm -hmm. available for development is in and of itself critically important. I would hope that that means that there is a, a bigger pie of resources available for development and it's clear that countries have more options than they had before in terms of where uh, they get their resourcing for development. But those options are difficult to track. While traditional aid sources can report data to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, and the International Aid Transparency Initiative, or IADI, there aren't established repositories of data for non-DAC donors, philanthropists, or companies. China and Brazil, Arab donors, they they typically are not reporting at the same level of transparency and there's not as much scrutiny. These emerging donors are going to be increasing in, in importance in terms of the volume of their flows uh, to support development. That's highly problematic if there's a gap in the information available. As we've discussed before on Deeper Than Data, transparency is key to development. Not only does it help donors and recipients to coordinate funding effectively, it helps civilians and stakeholders around the world to hold governments and organizations accountable. Let's say I'm a parent, you know, and I'm at the community level and I want to make sure that uh, my daughter that I send to school has the teacher arriving on time, is receiving the books that were promised, uh, that the, the, the school building is functioning. Um, I want to have trans transparent information so that I can see how much money is going to my school and then how does that relate to the public service that I'm seeing in terms of education provided for my daughter? And if I don't have that transparent information, how can I even begin to have a conversation with my government about gaps in service? But both David and Samantha emphasized that transparency is only one step in the process towards more efficient and accountable aid. In order for citizens and governments to actually use information to create better outcomes, we need to have inclusive and effective institutions in place. The whole theory of, of how transparency leads to better outcomes is, is dependent on, on a political process, that, that um, someone's going to be able to access the information that they need to influence how decisions get made, whether within a, a government ministry of finance or whether it's a journalist um, writing articles or, or radio reports for people in a community that's, that, that are receiving um, or where, where aid funds are flowing to, to build a, a clinic or a school. And um, it's really the, the salience of the information in, in those processes and, and whether, you know, whether people have the ability to engage with, with decision makers, that's going to be the deciding factor as to whether this data translates into um, tangible gains for people. And the UN is already trying to address this. Goal 16 of the upcoming SDGs is to promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. So this very much ties into the transparency, openness of governments, openness of data uh, discussions. This goal is not perfect. Um, but what is useful about it is that there's a recognition of this idea that it's not just about transparency for transparency's sake, but that it's transparency tied into accountable institutions, about participation and, and dialogue between citizens and their governments. This goal is a great step for the UN and the entire world of international development. 
we're moving past a one-dimensional definition of aid and assistance to actually help partner countries develop internally for the long term. The SDGs are about finding the most efficient and impactful ways of distributing resources so that all people's needs are met and leaders, governments, and institutions can't misuse funds. They're about building better institutions and making aid accountable. And in order to do that, we need to start with transparency and open data. Making information available is the first step to creating a dialogue and ensuring that people get the help and support they need. Transparency is necessary but not sufficient. Just putting information out there on its own won't solve uh, the problem and it won't make societies more inclusive and accountable. But it is an essential ingredient because if you don't know what what your government is supposed to be doing for you, then how can you begin to hold them accountable? Or how can you begin to advise them on what your priorities are? Aid Data is already beginning to think about what transparency for the SDGs will look like. We're undertaking a pilot exercise to map funding for each individual sustainable development goal. So one of the things that we are starting uh, this summer is a pilot project uh, to track uh, what I like to call the quality of financing for sustainable development. Basically looking at all of the financial flows for official development assistance and then mapping that to each of the sustainable development goals and targets. This would be the first attempt of its kind to be able to systematically track that goal by goal, target by target. And we're continuing Aid Data's social survey work to actually communicate with decision makers in developing countries about their experiences with the SDGs. We have a, um, a social survey practice here at Aid Data where we um, have assembled a sampling frame of policymakers, decision makers from low and middle income countries, over 126 low and middle income countries, in fact. One of the things that we want to ask is to learn about um, people's experiences with the sustainable development goals, uh, to understand what their preferences and priorities will be in terms of where we should be investing effort for the sustainable development goals, um, and then over time to track that and to see you know, what progress is being made, how much are the sustainable development goals actually making it into policy change. This week, as you think about Addis Ababa and look forward to the SDGs, keep transparency and open data in mind. Think about how publishing data will affect people at all tiers of the development process. Think about how achieving Goal 16 and every other part of the SDGs will require international cooperation and communication. Think about open data for the future. If you like what you heard today on Deeper Than Data, head over to Aid Data's blog, The First Tranche, at aiddata.org blog. You'll find a detailed summary of events, opinions, and developments at FFD3 so far. On the next episode of Deeper Than Data, we're talking about the changing landscape of aid in the Caribbean. Join us next week on Wednesday, July 22nd for episode four. Finally, we'd like to extend a very big thank you to David Saldivar, Samantha Custer, and all the other minds that contributed to this episode behind the scenes. This is Emily Jackson. And Daniel Abouaji. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>